Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. But now, even though the Finnish language and the English language are polar opposites, Sebastian's done a wonderful job. And I now, when I know we're going down to listen to sound from Sebastian Ajo after wins and losses, this is a guy that I think that can grab that torch. The one that uh, Justin Williams uh, distinguished himself with. And that's a part of Ajo that I think is really impressive and encouraging. And I do think that that is a consequential piece of, of what he brought. And now other guys will need to bring it. You're not going to win every game. How do you react to the wins? How do you react to the losses? And Justin uh, came in with the proper approach in all of those situations um, that represented a team that was moving clearly back in the right direction because of him. This is the Canes Corner Podcast with host Adam Gold, part of the Capital Broadcasting Podcast Network. Now here's the host of the Canes Corner Podcast, Adam Gold. Welcome to the Canes Corner Podcast. I am Adam Gold. Thank you very much for your time. Hello, Caniacs. It's almost here. No, no, not Santa. Although you might be listening to this and Santa has already come and gone. I don't know. Uh, I hope he left you everything you wanted. I hope he was better to your kids than he was to you because that's the way it works in our house. Well, Santa Bettman uh, and Santa Fair uh, gave us a gift, the gift of hockey. Uh, We know when we're going to start. We're going to start January 13th. Uh, We don't know if all teams, I guess all teams aren't going to start January 13th. We have an odd number of teams. Uh, So uh, some teams will start the 13th, others the 14th, others the 15th. But we are underway uh, towards the end of the second full week in January. And everyone I know is excited. And we all should be excited. Training camps will begin on January 3rd. uh, And we'll get into a couple of particulars in a second. On this particular podcast, uh, Trip Tracy the only Hurricanes television and radio now analyst I have ever known. I have been in Raleigh uh, slightly uh, less time than the Hurricanes have been in the Triangle. The Hurricanes moved here, as you well know, in October of 97, officially for the first time. I got here in February of 98, so they beat me by about five months uh, is, uh, is my calculation. Anyway... Uh, we'll talk with Trip Tracy about a number of things, and we'll set that up for you in a second. One of them, we will talk about the Central Division. So, get used to your Central Division overlords, the Tampa Bay Lightning. We are now in the same division with the defending champions. Uh, so, in the grand scheme of things, as the NHL set it up, Central was probably uh, as good as Carolina was going to get. Uh, the East looks like an absolute minefield. Uh, not that Carolina couldn't have made the playoffs in the East. They could have. Uh, but it certainly does look less daunting in the Central. Albeit, I will caution you, everybody puts their short pants on one leg at a time in the NHL. Uh, so just because it's after Tampa, Dallas, Nashville, uh, Columbus, Florida, Chicago, Detroit. Did I forget anybody? Uh, Just because it's not Boston, Washington, Philly, Pittsburgh, the Islanders, the Rangers, Buffalo is much better. Doesn't mean it's going to be any easier. Carolina still has to go out and play well. And we'll talk about uh, what we believe are the keys, key players, if you will, for the Hurricanes to have success. Uh, And we're probably not going to go to where you think we're going to go. Because I don't believe the key to... This team's success is Andrei Svechnikov or Sebastian Ajo uh, or Tavo Teravainen or Dougie Hamilton or Jacob Slavin because these are the known entities. These are the givens. Uh, the Hurricanes will be 
outstanding based on other players. And we'll talk about that with uh, with Trip Tracy. Uh, so in a conversation that began, actually, let me do this plug first for Trip, uh, and he will make it a couple of times throughout the conversation. Uh, you all know that Trip got into podcasting over the pandemic. It started with some just some little things that Trip and then John Forzen were doing for the team, and it has developed into uh, a little bit. I'm not even going to call it a side business. I will call it a charitable endeavor because that's really what it is. Uh, dig in trip.com. Uh, the podcast is called digging in with trip, uh, where trip talks to, you know, dignitaries across the NHL and across the sport of hockey and some people who are connected to the hurricanes. If he's listening here, I'm still waiting for my first invite to dig in with trip. Anyway, go to dig in trip.com. There's all sorts of merchandise. There's shirts, there's hats, there's sweatshirts, uh, stuff that you can help out uh, for a good cause. Uh, 50% of the proceeds go directly to charity. Uh, and I don't know, the other goes to his dog. I'm not really sure. Or his mom. Uh, and Trip's mom is just amazing. But really, help out. Uh, DiginTrip.com. You go to the website, by the way. Uh, and he, this is Trip's like the most subtle name dropper of all time. Uh, we got Rod Brindamore and Andre Svechnikov and. Kevin Weeks is now a big star in NHL Network, but of course, uh, is a Hurricane uh, and really one of the Hurricane legends if you think about the 2002 season. But Sidney Crosby's on there. Scotty Bowman is on there. Get out of here. What a name dropper. And that guy, that Justin Williams guy, uh, is, uh, is pictured as well. Uh, so go check out digintrip.com and uh, help out a good cause. And Trip will, uh, will mention that. Uh, as we get into the podcast. All right. Some of the things we're going to cover with Trip Tracy. The podcast. We'll start there. Get into a uh, free-flowing con- uh, conversation that started with Billy Guerin, uh, who's now the general manager of the Minnesota Wild, uh, and flowed into, I think, a pretty good chat about the guy who's not there anymore. Uh, and Justin Williams. And not only what made Justin great, uh, as a player, but as a captain. Uh, but what what really, how do they fill the void? How do the Hurricanes fill the Justin Williams void? And if you are of the mind that, well, they did that for the first half of last year, I would argue, and I might say pretty successfully, that the Hurricanes didn't fill that void in the first half of last season. That it was a little bit of a struggle to find their identity until Justin Williams not only showed up to play, but started playing to his standard. And once Willie got going, notice the team got going too. Uh, So we'll talk about Justin Williams, and we'll talk about expectations, uh, a little bit about the division, and then we'll get into some key players. Uh, So it's fun, it's trip, so you know it's great, and it's sincere, and I try not to get in the way, uh, but we had a good time, and... I've said this for a long time about Tripp. I think Tripp is great at what he does. I think he gives you an honest assessment, and that's all you can ask for from your analyst. Uh, All right, so without further ado, my friend, Tripp Tracy. My man, the one and only Tripp Tracy uh, here on, I am going to call this the first training camp episode of the Canes Corner Podcast, even though training camp does not start till just after the first of the year. Before we get into those matters, uh, let's dig in, shall we? Uh, how's that going? How's dig in with Trip going? Where can people buy merch? Uh, all of this. Uh, your Mr. Social Media. I saw you had Bill Guerin on uh, on a recent episode. Uh, you're a uh, you're a superstar. Global. <laughs> AG, great to hear your voice. I can't wait to get back down to Raleigh and actually see you. Um, Is that even allowed? Oh, I don't know. Right. I, I, I don't. <laughs> it's just I've always been a glasses half full I guy. <laughs> I, I, you know, it's been, you and I were just talking offline in particular about um, family first and that it, during these, you know, these unprecedented times that that's one element. And in my case, I've gotten to spend a ton of time with my mom up here in Michigan, which I'll never be able to quantify and appropriately describe. Um, 
how much that means to me. Um, but I, I, I've been lucky that I've done the, the podcast because you know, I don't do as many interviews as I used to. I mean, I mean, I look back to times like uh, the 2006 run and even 2009 after Scotty Walker scored in Boston in overtime in game seven, we didn't have a sideline reporter. So, I mean, as soon as the goal goes in, I might have a, I don't even know if I had any analysis. I mean, I'm just going down the cargo elevator to interview Scott Walker. I remember interviewing a, might have been Corey Stillman on the ice after he scored in overtime in the first round, beating uh, Montreal in 2006. So I don't get to do interviews really anymore. And so the challenge of, of doing an interview, I've always found to be unbelievably exciting um, to try to ask a good question in as few words as possible and then to have questions in your mind of where you might go at them, but yep. be willing to spontaneously go on a completely different reaction depending on what you hear and what the person you're interviewing says. I mean, I remember first year broadcasting in 98 and I did, I interviewed Paul Coffey and I couldn't even listen to what he said. I couldn't even hear it because I was just had three clean questions, wanted to get the commercial break and now I can listen. And that, so that's been a ton of fun. The merch is, um, it's been a ton of, it's uh, digintrip.com or handles on Instagram and Twitter at digintrip. The neat thing about the merchandise is, through uh, New Year's, um, we started this at Thanksgiving, that half of our sales, and, and they're going well, will go to the Pope Francis Center here in Detroit. Uh, people who need it most, my dad, God rest his soul, was very involved with the Pope Francis Center. Okay. Um, my sister and my cousin, who you and I have spoken about, you know, is the CEO of yeah. Ford. So it's for a good cause, and and hopefully that, uh, that will drive sales so I can make a, a good contribution here before I head down to Raleigh. Uh, well, we look forward to seeing you. And uh, as a just a matter of the craft, if you will, uh, depending on what the format is, depending on what the what the you know the medium that we're discussing, like for me, podcasts are more conversations, right? Yeah. So it's easier to just have a conversation. Like I know basically what I want to cover while we're having this conversation here, and I don't really have questions as a as much as I have just like, all right, let's make sure that we hit on this particular topic, this particular topic. Um, and then honestly, uh, you just try to, you listen to the answer, right? You just try to like, don't ignore, don't be thinking about what I want to get to next. Uh, just, you know, cause there are no time constraints on a podcast other than, uh, you know, somebody like you or somebody like me who may have other, <laughs> other things to do, uh, which I don't, you probably do, but uh, that's that's all it is. It's just a conversation. Uh, what you did with uh, Paul Coffey or Scott Walker uh, or Corey Stillman, I mean, those are more interviews. And, you know, we got to find out about this, 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 and then we're done. And you, th the answer is you're just waiting for them to stop talking. I agree with you wholeheartedly because um, I, what I love about being a, a broadcaster uh, and will always love Adam is that you've never arrived. You'll never get to a point where you've, you've, you've nailed it. It's a progress, not perfection type of thing. Same goes for my early experience in the podcast world, um, that you just hope you're improving. If I were to listen to the first podcast, which was oh, yeah. Shane Willis and then Rod Brindamore, as opposed to just, you mentioned doing Billy Guerin, I'm about zoomed out. I had my producer come up here and we did a bunch in person um, with social distancing, of course. Um, and you get so much more in person, like if you and I were looking uh, face to face. But the one thing I would say is because I've, I think David Letterman is a, is a genius. I, I, I from mm -hmm. an interviewing standpoint, conversationalist standpoint, uh, I remember my roommate at the time and teammate, Jason Carmanis, longtime assistant GM, uh, for the Hurricanes, we were, you know, roommates and teammates at Harvard, and we used to watch Letterman. That was when I was re really first introduced to Letterman, and now I've watched all of his episodes on his 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 show, uh, Guest Needs No Introduction, um, on Netflix. And what I think he's brilliant. Yep. Ag, what he I think among all the things that he does in the conversational environment that you're speaking about is he gets his guests, and he doesn't do it in any kind of deceiving, gotcha-type way, 
but he gets them to talk about things that otherwise they probably never thought they'd talk about or they don't talk about it with anybody else. Uh, I saw one with Robert Downey Jr. where he talked about his history in, in very detailed fashion with addiction. Yeah. Um, and so that, I try to learn from things like that. And at the end of the day, whether it's a conversation or an interview after a Stanley Cup playoff game, it really comes down to one thing, doesn't it? Trust. Mm-hmm. Trust. If you have that trust that, you know, whether you develop even throughout the course of the conversation, there's no doubt that it, it magnifies and improves the substance to a great degree. Uh, before we uh, before we move on and actually get to some uh, some hockey things and all of that, uh, real quick story about Bill Guerin, and I'm trying to remember the player uh, that I used in uh, in this situation. Uh, but Guerin uh, was friends with uh, I don't know if you do you know Jimmy Powers who um, runs or owns yes. uh, guy. right. So Garen, and I'm not sure if he was already with Dallas or if he's with the Devils. I'm not even sure where Garen was playing, but it was toward the end of his career. And he used to joke around with Powers uh, about just, about what anything. I used to hang out at uh, Piper's Tavern in North Raleigh. Shouts to, uh, shouts to not only Jimmy, but Dan. Uh, I mean, those guys are huge. They're, you talk about huge Kaniacs. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Jimmy and Dan are huge Kaniacs. But he used to hang out there. And they used to do trivia night on, I think, it, I guess it was Sunday nights. And Garen just happened to be there. Like, I guess whatever team he was playing with was in town. And Garen just happened to be there hanging out with Jimmy. I don't know why. Um, I didn't know that they were that tight. Uh, but Garen was there. And, again, I forget the team it was uh, that he was with. But I basically took a player of Garen's ilk, but not Garen. And the name of our team was, let's just say, the Patrick Eliash Fan Club. Um, for no reason, just to just to joke around with Garen, Powers came over to me and said, uh, man, uh, Billy found that very funny. So, uh, so there you go. That's my little Billy Garen story that was probably not that interesting, to be perfectly honest. I, I find it very interesting, and there's a couple of things that strike <laughs> me, A.G., the first thing is, is, is Bill Guerin did very well in his career, you know, two-time Stanley Cup champion. Mm-hmm. And uh, in the podcast that we just did, you know, he's a great storyteller. He's also a straight shooter. And he spoke about, and he was very candid uh, in, in, in a very refreshing way. But when he, remember, when he came over to Pittsburgh and, and you know, Sidney Crosby was young. Malkin, the eventual Conn Smythe winner, was young that year. Jordan Stahl was very young, mm-hmm. so your top three centers. And that that Billy came right into that dressing room, and and whoever you were, whether you were on the taxi Black A squad or you were Sidney Crosby, he was he hit you right between the eyes in charismatic fashion with with cold hard logic. And he talks about that during the podcast. That's something that strikes me, Ag. Also, too, he did very well in his career financially. He could have just, and I, I had fun with this during the pod, he could have just coasted off yeah. in the sunset in the Hamptons. <laughs> but he didn't. He started and 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 dug in, uh, you know, with regards to working for Jim Rutherford in Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. Uh, he recognized that you have to be all in, which sometimes players aren't all in, uh, after, you know, because it's a huge adjustment from what their hours are in performing as the, the best athletes in our sport to then, you know, because, you know, getting to know the scouts, scouting four or five different games in three, four days. So he didn't decide to just um, cruise on cruise control into the sunset. He decided that he was going to outwork uh, most of the people that were aspiring general managers. And that's why he's a deserving, deserving general manager now. And then the charisma after the Canes won AG, I went to one of the parties I did go to was Dougie Wade's day with the Stanley Cup <laughs> in St. Louis. And I came in hot and we started at Bush Stadium. I remember we were right by home plate. I didn't know Billy at the time. And Billy and, okay. and Doug were great friends. And we really just had each other from hello at home plate. That's where the party started. It's certainly not where it ended. It was around <laughs> noontime. 
And I said, Billy, I, you're an ultimate guy's guy, aren't you? And he said, well, you're an ultimate guy's guy. So it ended up being this unbelievable afternoon. The, the party was, was incredible. And then we ended up at uh, Joe Buck's house, uh, Doug's good friend. And, you know, it was a, it was a shift. But that's where Billy and I uh, first really hit it off. And he, he, his ability to tell a story is amazing. You know, when you think about those, that New Jersey team that won here in uh, the beat Detroit, yeah. and then to win in his late 30s at the end of his playing career, um, he's, you know what he is, just like Jimmy Powers is, He's a salt-of-the-earth Western Massachusetts guy. It's just, see, here's an example of, in a conversation, you just listen, uh, and it kind of folds into something else. Because something you said, you, in your description of who Billy Guerin is, you described two people, uh, one who is still with the Hurricanes and one that just left. Uh, you talk about going into a locker room and having charisma and being a straight shooter and basically knowing how to say things and be upfront about it. Didn't you just describe Justin Williams? Adam, without question. All right. Uh, so what's life? Question. What's Keep life like? What's life like without Justin Williams? I, we got a little bit of a taste of that the first half of last year, uh, and you could argue that maybe that was when they were kind of very inconsistent with their day-to-day as a team. Uh, And then there was the anticipation. And then once he got settled, it looked like the team was starting to form that identity again. Uh, So what is it going to be like without 14? Well, you hope, and I am optimistic that that some of the younger core pieces of this team uh, spent enough time with Justin that the bar that he raised will not just stay at that level, but hopefully will continue to be raised to take the next steps, which are the hardest ones to take after becoming relevant again um, because of people none more so than Justin Williams. And, you know, A.G., you and I are both close with Rod Brindamore. Mm-hmm. And, and, Roddy, we rarely disagree, but I, I think you and I talked about this before. But, you know, I think that what Justin Williams says after wins and losses uh, these last couple of years is instrumental. And, and Roddy will say, ah, Tripp, you're in the media. You know, it doesn't matter. And I'll say, and I might use, there might be some profanity in there, and I'll say, no, you're wrong. And the reason I say it, yes, he plays the game correctly with, un, and did, it's, it's weird to say in the past. I know, right? It is. But with, that switch because you and I both would see him in warmups and warmups. He was just getting through it. But then, and, and the guys would talk about it right before warmups and then between warmups and puck drop, it's a different person because he'd know he'd have to turn on that switch. And then he'd go out and play the game correctly. He'd be willing to pay the price to get to the hard areas, to stay in the hard areas. He had confidence in himself to try a play, and if it didn't work out, even if it was it was a glaring turnover, he'd try it again. He had a coach that was, I think, his favorite center in his in his NHL career that knew that he wasn't going to focus on the mistakes he made because he'd always compensate and he'd do more special things than make mistakes. But this is the part Rod and I would argue about, A.G., is that before Justin came back, and then he, I think because of that, atypical, downright wrong co-captaincy situation. He, he, he wasn't wearing a letter, so he, he was careful what he said out of respect for his teammates. And that's just how you know, special he is. But once, and it might have happened a few times even during that year, but certainly when he became captain, and it wasn't necessarily based upon wins and losses. It was how the team played. If the team played well, and, and didn't get the result, you wouldn't hear him hit you right between the eyes with, you know, hey, listen, we got to be a lot better than this. And if the t- it, he just had that candor yeah. that I believe is required. And I think if you went back and watched and listened to the sound, and you're always down there, AG, I'm still up in the booth in the postgame show. How often did we get rationalization before then? Oh, hot goalie. Played well without the result. And sometimes that's the case. Right. But it was far too often, and that's where I, if I was making my argument in a court of law, 
if you know to Rod, I would say that that was instrumental. That is significant. That is a cultural difference. And I look at guys like Sebastian Ajo, such a competitor during the game. If I do him in the bench interview or if you do him live after the first or second period, you could ask the greatest question on planet Earth. You're not getting anything because he's <laughs> dialed into the game. Right. But now, even though the Finnish language and the English language are polar opposites, Sebastian's done a wonderful job. And I now, when I know we're going down to listen to sound from Sebastian Ajo after wins and losses, this is a guy that I think that can grab that torch, the one that uh, Justin Williams uh, distinguished himself with. And that's a part of Ajo that I think is really impressive and encouraging. And I do think that that is a consequential piece of, of what he brought, and now other guys will need to bring it. You're not going to win every game. How do you react to the wins? How do you react to the losses? And Justin uh, came in with the proper approach in all of those situations um, that represented a team that was moving clearly back in the right direction because of him. The other, the other uh, person I was referring to when we were talking about uh, you know, your description of Bill Guerin was Rod Brindamore when you talked about the hard work and he was going to put in the time and he knew it. Like that's, you, we described Rod. We'll talk about Rod uh, in just a minute, but just I want to kind of uh, you know, kind of boil down a little bit more on Justin uh, because in defense of Rod, he always downplays everything. I don't think he wants to put too much public, um, you know, importance on things like this that would be considered uh, kind of intangible. But I do believe that the way you talk about things after games, for instance, I'm going to, I love using golf analogies. Greg Norman won two majors in his career. Uh, Part of that was because Greg had a hard time, uh, like, publicly accepting his, oh, you know, uh, I didn't play well, uh, he played great. Like, no, man, uh, you got to say you blew it. I blew it, and until, because you have, you can't, you can't go through life pretending that you don't have something to do with the outcome. Um, and I, I've, I know you and I have talked about this, and I keep reiterating it because I firmly believe the turnaround uh, when that team two years ago believed that it could win was after blowing the lead to Tampa at home. And it wasn't like, man, we proved we could play with the best team in the league. Justin Williams was pissed off in the locker room. Uh, and he wanted everybody to know that he was pissed off. Not because they lost the game. What what I think he was the message he was trying to get across and Oh, he could. He was the only one that could do it. Rod couldn't do it. Justin was the only one who could say, you know what? Our expectations are not just playing with these teams. It's not just uh, getting into the playoffs. We're as good as these teams. We can beat these teams when it matters. And I thought that his anger after that game had almost nothing to do with that they lost, but it was how they lost. And they, he, sort of, he sort of felt like they gave in at the end to a better team. And I don't know how you replace that. Um, maybe it can be Aho. Maybe it can be, uh, I don't know, maybe it can be Brett Pesci. Because um, I think he has some leadership skills on this team as well. Uh, and I don't think he does a lot of rationalization after games. Uh, but, I mean, to me, uh, there have been very few captains in sports that I have been uh, moved by. Justin and Rod. To me, those are peas in a pot. Uh, and I just think Justin Justin gets it. He gets our job. Uh, but they're going to miss that. A bunch of things you just said struck me, so I'll pick my favorite. Um, and you started with golf analogy. I remember I was at my brother's um, playing golf before his rehearsal dinner, and a guy who's been very successful at one point, it was Bill Gates' right-hand man, uh, and there's a reason my putting stroke, people call me staccato. And I had a six or eight footer and I said, I hope I make this. And my friend, John Ficken, he said, trip hope's not a strategy. That's right. <laughs> okay. So, and that brings me to, it was probably 
three, four weeks ago. I love to check in with, uh, with Justin's parents, uh, independently of him. I become very close with them and, and Justin's younger brother, who, you know, Jax, he's got that. It's, it would seem that Williams charisma. I saw you speaking at him this week again about golf, about, you know, <laughs> Charlie and tiger Williams oh and, 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 and I, so I asked Craig, I said, first of all, I said, Craig, I like Jax. I've always liked Jax Williams, young Jax Williams. I said, you know, you're his grand. Does he have it? And then Craig goes, well, I'm going to have to take, <laughs> I'm gonna just take the fifth on that. But, and I said, well, let me ask you this. How did you know what Justin had that expectation to win? Is that something that you can through repetition that you can create, or is it something you have or you don't? And I still, AG, don't know the answer to that question. But Craig Williams told me from a young age, he told Justin, if there's one thing I'm going to really impress upon you and reinforce, it's at a face-off, you look it over at the other guy, and you have to recognize you're better than that guy, and you want that puck, and you're going to do what it takes to get that puck more than the other guy. I can say that at some point for me, college or briefly in the minors and pro, I was hope is a strategy. Mm-hmm. Hope I don't give up a soft goal that's going to cost my team and let my teammates down. And gave too much respect to the guy on the other side. Justin's never been like that. Never, ever has been like that. Um, so that. It's going to be up to some other guys. We haven't talked about Jordan Stahl. Justin Williams has spoken in glowing terms recently, and it's great to hear about what a captain Jordan Stahl has become. And that, again, I think extends. You know Jordan Stahl is going to play the game the right way. He had a tough bubble, tough bubble against the Rangers, Mm -hmm. the Hurricanes, one of the biggest areas you and I have talked about it. Uh, that that has separated the Boston Bruins from the Carolina Hurricanes the last couple of years has been the play of the centermen, up and down. And Jordan, you know, I, I knowing him, he's a Stanley Cup champion. He will be motivated by that. And then on top of it, you know, anger doesn't come easily to him. Right. Do you know when he really got angry more than any time during his Hurricanes career, in my opinion, is after Game Five in Washington. Canes got trounced, went down three two. And a giant that is at times gentle but still plays the game and Rod's right to love him, absolutely. No better citizen, no shortcuts. He's an excellent, excellent captain. But you see what happens when he can get angry because he got angry in game six and he got angry in game seven and you certainly don't win that dramatic series had Jordan Stahl not located that proper kind of anger. So he's one guy, he is the captain. Mm-hmm. that can grab that ball and run with it. The final thing I'd say, A.G., that you made me think about, and thank you for making me think about it, one of the last games before the pause, we were in New York, had a great conversation with, uh, with Justin's coach in Washington, Barry Trotz, and he told me, and it was terrific, he said, A, probably there's no player that wasn't on the roster that got more phone calls right after the Caps won than Justin Williams because what he taught them about how to win. And he said, Barry did, that there were times when he was going to come in the locker room and deliver a message, and Justin could feel it, and he stopped him and said, Barry, don't worry. We've got this. Let me, let us handle this because he knows that certain messages cannot come from the coaching staff. They have to come from within that dressing room. And I just hope that this young core that has actually played a decent number of games, seasons with Justin Williams, um, that they have been able through repetition to make this a working part of their mind. And I think that really does start with Jordan Stahl. And then I look at, you know, I mentioned Aho earlier. Mm-hmm. I've always thought, uh, like you, about the charisma of Brett Pesci. And you have no idea what other candidates uh, could be able to pick up that slack that'll have to be not, you know, one person can't do it. It'll have to be cumulative. Williams was a special guy when he was here. Uh, I remember when he walked in the locker room for the first time uh, after coming over for Danny Markoff from Philadelphia. Um, I remember him winning, this, winning the cup 
Uh, they're gonna miss. They're gonna miss him. Hopefully, he'll have a presence around the team. I know he's got other things. He's a dad. Both his kids play. Uh, he's got. You know, maybe he's gonna make a run at the Champions Tour. Who knows? Uh, because he's that kind of that kind of an athlete. All right, let's get it. Let's get to a couple of hockey things, uh, and then we'll uh, we'll let you go. Uh, because now that we're here, it's a brand new sport. I think. Welcome. To the Central Division trip, Tracy. 56 games, eight times each against the other seven teams. Tampa, Dallas, Carolina, Columbus, Florida, Nashville, Chicago, Detroit. So let me just broad brush it for you. Your thoughts on the Central Division, and then we'll go from there. Well, you know, I, I get a pretty good smirk every time that I see in any season – and certainly now um, it's no different. You know, I, I saw somebody quoted that with the Canadian division that, you know, there are no easy nights. <laughs> okay, great. <laughs> no kidding. Right. Master of the obvious point. That's the National Hockey League. Um, you know, you look at a team. I'm here in Michigan right now. I remember a game pretty early last season before Detroit got decimated with, with injuries, AG, that, the Red Wings came into PNC and I couldn't believe how fast they were. Yeah. Uh, and Carolina won the game, but, but I mean, this is, this was a, a particularly fast hockey club. Um, so once again, the truth is there are no easy nights. You have no clue in these ultra unique circumstances, what guys individually and as a group, have done to prepare themselves, which team is going to come to training camp in shape, not to get in shape. I know that virtually all NHL players are in shape in this day and age. We know that. Um, But you have all these X factors that you just don't know which teams have taken advantage of this time with players scattered throughout the world to be able to get in front of this thing. Um, Beyond that, uh, you have some, Elite teams, including the Stanley Cup champion, Tampa Bay Lightning. Um, it's on paper. Yes. Would I prefer that Carolina be in this division than, you know, the one in the East? <laughs> My gosh. Of course. Of course. Um, but you just don't know how that's right. going to play out because there is such parity in the league. And I'm not trying to take an easy way out. That is a fact. Um, but I do think it is an advantage at the same time. And we discussed it. Uh, it might have been the last time that we, we, we talked. I do like the fact that this team is being given the chance to grow together, learn hard lessons together with not a lot of turnover. You know, I think the goaltending, for, for my money, was better than it was ever given credit for last year. However, I need an asterisk next to that uh, for both James and with Peter. It's not the saves you make. It's the goals you give up, and mm-hmm. that – uh, that certainly was a storyline in an otherwise sterling brand of goaltending against Boston, but that's what people remember, and that is consequential. Yep, no doubt about it. And then I look at uh, I look at the blue line and I look up front. There are a couple of different guys, probably three, four, that had off years. Um, whether it be a Gardner, whether it be a Niederreiter, whether it be a Dzingle, can you just you know each of those guys? You know they don't have to do a ton, but improve upon that production from 10 goals to 20 goals uh, across the board right there. That's going to help you big time. Can you stay healthy? Yeah. Can you stay COVID free? And can the young core, the star group, can they stay healthy and can they continue to take, pro- take progressive steps in their career and not plateau or digress? Cause I look at the division too, and it would be very easy to say, okay, Tampa's the class uh, and Dallas and Carolina, uh, Dallas went healthy. Those are those two teams are probably pretty similar. I give a healthy Dallas squad maybe a a shade ahead uh, based on goaltending. If their goaltending is healthy, they obviously uh, kind of ran out of goaltending gas at the end. Um, Nashville is trying to figure out goaltending, but they've got a lot to prove because they didn't have the year they wanted. Columbus is going to be hard to play against. Florida and Chicago were really coming on strong. I felt. Uh, at toward the end of the season, uh, Detroit was, you know, they were Detroit last year as it turned out. Uh, but there are no guarantees. Um, but you mentioned the East and 
I still, in the back of my mind, cannot close my eyes and see the NHL not saying, you know what, we really, we should have, we should have five, uh, five teams in each division make the playoffs because if you think about it, after Boston, Philly, maybe Washington is third in the East. You tell me that Pittsburgh, the Islanders who played for the conference title this past year, the Rangers who are, uh, I think, have a great young nucleus and could be really dangerous, um, you know, with Shesterkin the entire year, what Buffalo did in trying to rebuild that roster. There's a lot of good teams in that division, and only four of them are going to make the playoffs? I have a hard time with that. It, I agree with you. Um, you know, I think it just you just mentioned Buffalo there at the end. You know, Buffalo, if they get goaltending, I mean, on paper, this is a team that, this is a team that you you would think is staged to take the next step. Yeah, in any division, and, and, and even in that formidable division, um, you know, Florida, Florida certainly. I mean, Bobrovsky had a really in a, in a lot of ways a hellacious year. They didn't. They don't have a good defense. So can, does he get better? Right. Does their defense, you know, get a lot better? Um, Chicago, boy, Chicago was able to beat the Edmonton Oilers. I just. And what, when you ask the question about the Central Division, I end up pivoting, which should I have, but I don't mind doing it because Rod would talk about it's more how we, I'm speaking you know, for right. him, how we play than the opponent. And so what did I do? I pivoted and talked about how I think Carolina needs to play to compete. And you knew what I was going to ask Regardless of next. who the opponent is. You, you, you knew where I was going to go next. You were just getting to the next question. <laughs> I... Well, I did. I do believe, regardless of opponent, that I do believe in that. Um, and the one other thing that I, I, you just got me to think about it. Uh, I'm very close. Kevin McCarthy was my was my coach in the American Hockey mm-hmm. League, and you know, he, it looked like he might retire, but he's going to join our old friend Peter Laviolette in Washington. Good for him. Too bad that that the that, 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 that this that we are that the Hurricanes aren't playing uh, Washington because that would be great in the playoffs. Who knows? Maybe it could be deep in the playoffs because uh, Lavi and Roddy love each other. And sooner or later, they're going to end up going toe to toe. And that, uh, you know, with, with, you know, what the recent history has been in Washington and Carolina AG, and that'd be great to see. But Kevin McCarthy mentioned to me that because you're playing solely within your division eight times, that there's actually going to be a lot less work for the pre-scout, you know, because, you know, you might be playing the same team two, who knows, three times. I don't know if it's three times, however many times you're just, there's going to be that familiar familiarity that you have in a playoff series. Like for me, broadcasting playoff series has always been by far the easiest games to do because you get to know the opponent through anywhere from four to seven games. You get to know them so well, that you almost know them as well as the Carolina Hurricanes who you're covering. So I think that's worth mentioning, too. It won't be to the same degree as a playoff series would be, but when you're playing the teams in the Central eight times, there truly will be no secrets. And whereas we don't know, say, Nashville or Dallas or Chicago, Western Conference teams, as well as, say, teams in the Metropolitan Division, by the time we see them three, four times and get halfway through that eight-game set, we're going to know him a heck of a lot better. Uh, and so that's why I, again, pivot into it's more how you execute. And if you play to your strengths, then um, the particular elements of the personnel of the other teams within the division. I don't think there's any question that that is accurate. Um, I look forward to playing, uh, you know, Columbus eight times. Uh, <laughs> it, it could be, and those are always hard games because I think Columbus and Carolina play at least the identity that, that each team wants are pretty similar. Hard to play against, good forecheck, uh, try to be opportunistic. I think Carolina has a little bit more high end. So let's talk a, uh, just a little bit about the, you know, a few hey, players. Hey, can I jump for one sure. sec just how, about uh, about Columbus? Because you, you were speaking about Justin Williams and his will to win. Just very quickly, Columbus at times has been a hard out for Carolina. You know why, in my opinion? Because they're not going to beat themselves. Right. They, they, they lost Bobrovsky. They lost Panarin. 
You know, they made all those moves at the deadline. So they had, you know, they, everybody thought they were going to have trouble making it, and John Tortorella made that clear to them at the beginning of their training camp. And the Hurricanes had a bit of a tough time. Do you know why, in my opinion? Because there are still some guys on the roster for the Hurricanes, and it, it, this is the case across the NHL. But if it's one of those games where you're playing a team that isn't going to give you much and is going to wait for you to make a mistake, that takes a mindset. Mm-hmm. That takes a buy-in. And I think the Hurricanes at times got away from that buy-in and that necessity, and that's why I, I had to jump for a sec because you bring up Columbus. That is a especially intriguing opponent because I think if Justin Williams was on this uh, call with us, A.G., he would say they're a perfect example of can we get over the hump and, and recognize that you have to play a certain way. And it might be, let's say Justin's playing 16, 17 minutes or Sebastian Ajo is playing 18, 19 minutes, 17 or 18 of those minutes, you might have, you know, play what he might consider boring hockey where you play the game correctly. And it, it might just come down to a minute of play, a minute of play where that's where you get a chance to be the difference in the hockey game. And, and you bringing up Columbus, they're a perfect opponent that will test you and see where your barometer is at in that, from that litmus, stand, uh, litmus test standpoint. Yeah, and I think that uh, John Tortorella probably likes it when he has, theoretically, and I'm using air quotes here, the lesser talented team. Uh, because he can put them in that mindset that we're going to grind them out and we're going to force them, we're going to impose our will and force them to make a mistake. I think um, if I was, like, I talked to Rod Brindamore earlier this week, um, and I and I asked him specifically about Vincent Trocek. Um, look, I like Vincent Trocek. I think Trocek coming from Florida to Carolina um, is a little bit of a, was a little bit of a, maybe culture shock's not the right word. And I'm going to use an analogy from another sport here. When LeBron got back to Cleveland, Kyrie Irving was put in a position he'd never been in, in that every single game, the outcome of that game mattered. Uh, and there's a different mindset. You're not just playing to score and trying to win. Uh, you are playing to win because you have to win. And... I don't know that Trocek and the rest of the Florida Panthers had been in that position over the last few years. And I think some of the some of that reality might have might have hampered Vinny for uh, the the first handful of games. And even in the when they restarted, I don't think he played uh his best hockey. I think he was good. I don't think he was great. Uh but if Vincent Trocek can be on top of his game, I think the continuity will help to him to get there. Carolina is a much better team if Trocek's playing the fifty-point guy. If he's a fifty-point guy that he was earlier in his career. Incredibly intriguing question. Um, you know, I can think of several NHLers in the last many years that uh, were involved in a midseason trade that struggled uh, and struggled even mightily. Uh, and then come back, you know, they're familiar with the area. Vincent has spent the entire time, as far as I know, in Carolina, um, training with the group in Raleigh. Um, so it's now something, even under during COVID times, the triangle is familiar to him. Right. Um, he's going to get, it's, it's not a full training camp, but it is a training camp. Yeah. Uh, there's no surprise factor. I do know that, um, that systematically there was a big adjustment for him and he had a tremendous attitude about it of looking at film and as a player, uh, whether it be you with your D your D zone coverage in particular a centerman like him, your neutral zone, uh, play and positioning and where you're going to be on the four check. There are differences between the way Florida played and the way Carolina plays in all three zones. And so you don't ever want to be in a position on the ice where you're thinking about where you should be instead of just reacting. And unfortunately, a lot of that just, it, it takes time to get to the point where it's just a working part of the mind. Uh, also, you know, want to mention, you know, that he has come back from significant, significant uh, injuries to both yeah. legs, which takes time. Um, and the one other thing I would say when I look at players who have struggled after a trade and then 
I want to say James Neal did at one point in Pittsburgh, struggled big time, and then had something good happen to him early in a regular season, and then it was like a snowball effect, the right kind of snowball effect. Vincent, I thought, played, as I think about this, particularly, he played well against Washington, I know it was an exhibition game in the bubble, and then he started well against the Rangers. Mm-hmm. And he, I think he hit a post, he had some other good chances, um, and then, you know, he didn't have the puck luck. He didn't get the bounce. And then I thought his play fell off. I've already mentioned that the Hurricanes from, from top to bottom have to be better in the middle of the ice to deal with, uh, to get over that hump, just specifically of a team like the Boston Bruins. That's one area that they have to be better, and Vincent is part of that. Um, so all of those factors, I think he's in a position to be a much bigger impact player uh, than he was uh, both before the pause and in the bubble. And I don't see how they are an elite team, Carolina, if he's not able to do that. Um, and the one other element which I think can be priceless is is that I know Rogers wants to be able to trust him in his own end because whether you're at home with last change or you're on the road without it, You want to make sure whether he's producing or not. You and I both, obviously, and every Hurricanes fan hope he will be. But you want to be able to rely on Vincent not to give anything up, you know, on whoever he's playing with. So if he can be trustworthy and he can be efficient as a centerman on the defensive side of the puck, and then this is where I think Rod is among his many gifts. This is one of his biggest. And, again, this plays into when we were talking about Justin Williams. Rod knows it's a game of mistakes. He would rather have you try to make a play, in particular at your own blue line, in particular at the offensive blue line, safe as death, because it's so hard to, to be able to possess the puck. Don't give it away for free. Right. And so he will empower guys like Vincent and any player that is struggling to regain his confidence and his mojo. I mean, this is an all-star a few years ago. Um, and so I think he has the perfect coach and a former centerman uh, to try to help him do everything he can to manufacture and fake it till he makes it with regards to that confidence level. So I think he's a guy in the first six to eight games that you really in particular want something or some things good to happen um, to be able to um, really feel in earnest that, that he's a Carolina hurricane. And then I think, his game will just get better and better. Yeah, and I think it, not not to mention he can be used in all situations. He can play shorthanded. Uh, yeah. He's on the power play. The right-handed centerman obviously is important for Rod. He likes that matchup. Uh, but I think his play kind of is the key to unlocking a Nino Niederreiter uh, or maybe a Ryan Dezingle if Dezingle is playing with him, making sure Martin Natchez takes the next step. I think I think Vincent Trocek really holds the key to all of that. Because he's going to have to play pretty big minutes. I think at this stage of the game, uh, as much as we love Jordan Stahl, he's probably best used as a checking center first and foremost. Uh, And we saw that toward the end of last year where the the time on ice was coming down on an average, you know, game in, game out basis. As uh, Sebastian was taking over that, he was playing, you know, 20 minutes a night because you got to get your best guys on the ice. And I want to go back to goaltending with you as, as we kind of wrap it up. Uh, and I know we'll do this again soon. Um, Peter Morazic's in the last year of his deal. Um, I wonder if, if the best plan, if, if they were come, trying to come up, this is how we want it to work out. Is that ultimately, and we've seen it in the playoffs each time, but I kind of think that Peter has looked like the better goaltender as we got to the playoffs each time, of course, this past year you know, might not have been the case only because uh, we only played one game. Um, but do you think the plan is we really want Peter to be the guy because he has the mentality of that number one goaltender that maybe James doesn't necessarily have? And I don't mean that as a slight to James. Morazic, when he's on, has that confidence about him that I just don't know that the other two guys have. I would say that, um, and I do not mean this as a slight to James Reimer at all, because I, if I were to grade his season last year, he gets an A. Oh, he's great. I, mean, I he, loved him. He, he was superb. 
I just, and I don't know if he, again, if he, if he were on the call with us, he might flat out disagree, but I don't think he minds it. If it's a, if it's a deferral type situation, he wants to play. And so I'm not at all saying he does not want, he does not want that crease, but I don't think he has that alpha male personality that, that, you know, that, that, that you really need to be the guy, not in a platoon system. Um, so the better Peter plays, because they're both going to be used, and mm-hmm. in particular in this type of schedule, you know, when you're probably going to be, I haven't seen the schedule yet, I've heard rumblings about it, but when you're going to be playing a ton of back-to-backs and three and fours, oh, yeah. so you're going to need both. So in a perfect world, Peter is playing well, so James won't be threatened by that, but he can just do his thing. Um, now, Peter, is, he has shown snippets in both of these seasons, regular seasons and the playoffs. He just hasn't been able to put it all together. And that's why it's, it's go time for him now. Um, because if you, we've spoken about in golf analogies, AG, it's a long walk from the practice range to the first tee. You can be hitting beautiful draws on the practice range. Then you've got to make that walk to the first tee. And you got to, you know, if need be, you got to pipe a nice power draw, uh, you know, when it counts. Making that long walk mentally and physically from being a backup goaltender or a 1A and 1B situation, that's a long walk. And Peter has shown the ability to take positive steps in that walk, but he hasn't gotten himself to the first tee. Um, and you could say that about... He was sensational in the second half of the regular season that led to getting back in the playoffs. He was really good against Washington, and in particular when the series mattered. Mm-hmm. Um, before he got hurt, he was outstanding against the New York Islanders, and then he comes back from that groin injury, and he didn't have it against Boston. So that's that incomplete nature. Same thing last year. I mean, he with his ceiling, which I agree with you totally, if Peter doesn't give up that that Bergeron goal where I think he just took a breath. I know it was a 3-1 series, but he's proven at the World Junior level, he's proven at the American Hockey League level, and he's proven it at the NHL level that when he gets hot, he's as good as anybody in the business. He just hasn't been able to maintain that consistently like a number one is able to do. So if he doesn't give up that goal to Bergeron, the Canes win that game, there's a back-to-back involved in there, too, which I'm sure they would have rolled with Morozik. He's the type of guy that, that could have gotten hot as a firecracker and could have brought you back to win that series that I'm not sure Reimer could do. So I agree with you, but now it's on Peter, mentally and physically, to be in the best shape of his career and mentally be able to utilize his emotions most advantageously. There are going to be no fans in the building, at oh, least no. to start. You know, does that help Peter? What does he learn about conserving that mental and physical energy, maintaining his focus to be able to truly in earnest walk to the first tee? And I'm I'm very happy the Hurricanes brought these two guys back. And how does Nadalkovic work in there? Does he get some time again with this condensed schedule? If this was an ordinary season, AG. My plan would have been, because there were other areas that I thought the Hurricanes could get better, and then my template, this is just me, but my template would have been, let's see how Peter and James perform. Maybe Alex Nedeljkovich plays a role at some point, and then under normal circumstances, at the trade deadline, if the Hurricanes are for real, then I either say, okay, our goaltenders have earned the right, we're rolling with these guys, or B, at that point, like Carolina did when they won the Stanley Cup, we know they made two big-time moves in Doug Waite and then Mark Recchi. We know this is a different type of season based on COVID. But this is why I thought it was better to wait on the goaltending, see how it goes, Both, you know, that you have expiring contracts. And so this will all unfold um, in the months to come. And is this what Peter is? Or is this the time that Peter shows – I've made that walk to the first tee. Yeah, look, I, uh, you know, we can use, we use, especially as we get into, uh, like, draft talk, uh, what is the ceiling, what is his floor? 
Peter's floor might uh, might be a little lower than uh, than James, but his his ceiling is higher. Uh, and I, 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 it'll be fun to watch Peter kind of accept that challenge like he did in the second half. Uh, and he was challenged by Curtis McElhinney because there was a time uh, where maybe it was February or January where it looked, I think to all of us, like McElhinney was the number one. And then uh, maybe he got hurt and Peter got back in uh, and there, there was just no taking Peter out at that point. The last 15 starts in uh, the 18-19 season. I think if I recall correctly, Mrazek was 12-3, and 941 save percentage. It was just, he, he had superstar numbers, uh, and he carried that into the postseason. Can he do that for, for, an, entire, for an entire season? Now, this is just 56. Um, because that, that has been, if the book mm-hmm. has been written so far, and it's still a choose-your-own-adventure, but that's been the book on him so far. And the true number ones, you know, they, they, they don't fall off. Nope. They don't fall off. And that's why you don't see a ton of guys, you know, only certain guys can handle, and I keep coming back to it, walking from the driving range to hitting that, uh, that draw down the middle. And he's, he's not quite there yet. The one other thing I would mention is that, and this is a tremendous credit to, uh, to Peter, to Curtis, to James, to Nadalkovich. Um, is these guys genuinely all pull for each other? Like he he gets along with his partners, yep. um, and and I having played the position not at that level, but you know sometimes you you're pulling for a guy, but silently when you're backing up, you don't mind seeing a soft call go in. <laughs> <laughs> so so I think that's an that is a very flattering part of his personality, but I this is his time. This mm-hmm. is because I do believe AG. At the end of this atypical regular season, he's going to be a free agent. People know what James Reimer is at this point in a very fine NHL career, and he's, again, been an excellent find, just like McElhaney was, off of waivers, Reimer, and a trade with Florida. But this is, I think, the year more than any. My hope is with Carolina. But either way, this is my hope. Not hope. My belief. This is where you're going to really figure out what and who Peter Morazic is, period. This is, you know, this is, can he put it all together? And he is a number one goaltender in the National Hockey League, or is he an A-level 1A and 1B guy? All right, we're going to wrap it up. Uh, I thank you very much, Chip Tracy, for your time. Uh, Merry Christmas to you. Best to your mom. Uh, Maybe we should get her on the podcast with us next time. Oh, she'd love that. And, I mean, she... (laughs) She ag is a she's a straight shooter. I know. And she just she just does not she just does not mince words. I mean, I it's great to be with you. And I, I just said sorry. It brings me back to actually it was a Christmas tournament my senior year, and I think the eventual Hobie Baker Award winner his name was Brian Bond, and he was playing for Minnesota. Scored on his knees, and I wanted to play well in that game against Minnesota. Didn't play well. Um, and my mom, right after the game, she goes, well, I didn't like this goal. I didn't like that goal. I didn't like that goal. <laughs> so she'd be good. I think she'd be good to have on the podcast, and she'd say it a lot more effectively and a lot fewer words than me. Um, so best to you and your mom. I'll talk to you soon, Trip. I appreciate your time. Uh, keep digging in. Uh, give me the, uh, what, digging with Trip again? Uh, at digging with trip on uh, Twitter and Instagram and uh, diggintrip.com for our merchandise and 50% of the sales through um, New Year's going to the Pope Francis Center here in Detroit. People who need our help the most. I will. Uh, we will send people as many people as we can to the website. Thank you very much, man. Thanks, AG. Love you. I didn't sell it short, right? I didn't oversell it. Either. It was awesome talking to Trip Tracy. Uh, and I will say off, uh, as we're wrapping this up, we talked probably for about six or seven minutes before and probably for 10 or so minutes after to the point where I wish I was still rolling tape. Uh, but anyway, again, it all starts January 13th, uh, January 3rd training camp hurricanes in the central division. And that's okay. Uh, I guess Chicago was the team I had forgotten at the beginning of this, uh, entire podcast, uh, and uh, a 10-day training camp, no 
preseason games, and then let's go. Let's go play some hockey. Uh, so we'll do this again. The season is upon us. Uh, so let's get let's all get ramped up for Hurricanes hockey. Thanks for hanging out on the Canes Corner Podcast. I'm Adam Gold. See you next time. You've been listening to the Canes Corner Podcast with Adam Gold. Don't forget there are many ways you can listen to this podcast, including streaming at WRALsportsfan.com, the WRAL Sportsfan app. And you can also subscribe for free at Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Pocket Casts, and TuneIn. Thanks again for listening to the Canes Corner Podcast. Is getting your CPAP supplies a real pain? It doesn't have to be that way. Hi, I'm Brandon Giggling, president of Parkway Sleep Health Centers, and we are North Carolina's number one source for CPAP machines and supplies. Our streamlined process makes getting your CPAP as easy as one, two, three, and we ship anywhere in the state. If you're in need of a CPAP machine, supplies, a knowledgeable doctor, or a sleep study, Parkway has you covered. For information or to schedule an appointment, visit parkwaysleep.com. Sound sleep, sound health.